0: For some of us, it's just what scripture says. We will only be saved by fire. Or we're only saved from the fire of hell. Because of our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. But we pray, O God, that as we go through this series, that we would want more than that. That we would desire to be your servants. We would desire to walk closely to you. We would desire to grow up and the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, minister to us and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, what is it? And again, as I spoke last week, there are those who say, I don't need church. And we're seeing that more and more in America, that people don't need church because people are pretty well off. And so they think they have no need of church. Also remember what we talked about last week some, that the church, when it began, it began with a fellowship centered around Jesus Christ. When it began, the focus was totally upon Christ and Christ alone. Then the church moved over to Greece, and it became a what? A philosophy. And then it went on over into Rome, and it became an institution. Then it moved over into Europe and it invaded the culture. And then it came to America and it became an enterprise. When I was over in South Korea, one of the questions that kept, came, kept coming up as we would visit different churches and sit with different pastors and their elders and deacons, they would ask this question and many of them would ask it over and many of them were doctors and uh, they have written books but they asked this question, why in America that once, who says they want to get the gospel out why is it in America most Christian books have it in copyright you cannot copy it don't they want you to save what the Lord had laid on their heart? And why in America does it cost so much to get the word out? Because in America Christianity has become an enterprise. We are what is on sometime the head of our thing. We are a corporation. And a corporation is there to make money. <laughs> But that's not the real purpose of the church. The church is the greatest organization on earth. Bigger than General Motors, Coca-Cola, DuPont, or any company that you will find. The church has more franchise and local outlets than any other business in the world. It is not completely organized like a business, yet it functions much like a business in delivering its products and winning customers. Like many businesses are discovering, it can be hard a hard sell in today's market. But the product is still in high demand. The customer who buys this product receives a product that is out of this world. And cannot purchase it through any other business or company than the local church. And one of its agents known as a saint, ambassador, or priest. The product they sell is guaranteed for life. Furthermore, all their customers have opportunity to participate in the work of this organization. Though it's local outlet, the church and get some of the best deals on earth, like joy, security, peace, kindness, love, blessings, and many other blue light bargains. If you read the contract, section titled John three sixteen and 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve through twenty seven you will discover the vastness of this organization. One company, many outlets. Some cities have one on every corner. Our distributor, director, is the Holy Spirit. Our head or CEO, Jesus Christ. Our owner who owns it all is God. And many, many workers called priests. If you can be a part of this company, your benefits and dividends cannot be matched by any other company. Just think about it. The benefits you have in being part of the living church, the organization of the church, No company in the world can match its benefits or its dividends or its blessings. There is not a company existing that can do for you what the church can do. Now, Oswald Sanders says, the overriding need of the church is to discharge its obligation to raising up generations for leadership that is authoritative, that when a Christian speaks, they speak with the authority of the living God. They're just not speaking dead words. But they are speaking words that are alive and will not return unto God void. They're speaking words that God's going to accomplish his will through his word that is spoken. It's either going to judge the person in having a right to enter heaven or a person who will be separated from God throughout eternity. It is an area of spiritualness. It is an area in which a person is going to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to demonstrate what it is to live a spiritual life being a product of the Holy Spirit. They're going to demonstrate that in a spiritual life. And because they live this spiritual life, you're going to see the sacrifices that are made, the sacrifices that are made. And oftentimes, today in our Christian life, we don't want to make too many sacrifices, do we. If there's anything we keep account of is how much we have sacrificed. <laughs> If we would keep up with our sin the way we keep up with our sacrifices, we would have less sin. Because we do very little of sacrificing. The church is a standout. It stands on its own. It stands by the strength of the one who is the head, Jesus Christ. It stands without assistance from the government. Understand that. The government doesn't write a check to any church. The government really doesn't give anything to the church. And somebody will say, well, the church is tax exempt. Well... Just think of all the years when it was not. And one of the reasons that it is tax-exempt is simply because the people who attend it already have paid taxes. And somebody thought about that and began to put it in action. Why would you double-tax people? And it has that right under government at this time to be tax-exempt. It's not just a give me. And then society. We're raising up leaders to serve in both government and to serve in society. The failure of society is the failure of the church. The failure of society is the failure of the church. The failure of family is the failure of church. The failure of people living for the glory of God is the failure of the church. The church assists both government and society by preparing godly people to be a part of both. We prepare people to serve in government because it's only God's people who can judge rightly. It's only God's people who have a consciousness to form and to shape a people that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only in society that the church prepares the families of the next generation, the parents of the next generation, the children to face the issues. One of the worst things that the church ever did, and I think it's going to prove out more and more as we go down through history, we're going to find more written on it, is to take young people out of church and do junior church to have what we call even, in a sense, youth youth part. And yes, the intention is good because we're trying to reach the youth. Yes, we're trying to bring it down to them. But we have, and history will show right now, we had a much stronger church when the whole family was in the sanctuary worshiping together. The church was much stronger. And children could go home and ask questions of what the pastor was talking about. What was being said. And the parents had to be shocked because they had them young minds asking the questions. Yes, the church assists both government and society by preparing godly people To be a part of both. The meaning of priests. And understand this. In the temple of the Old Testament. You had what? Priests. And in the church. We have priests. Very similar. Old Testament. New Testament. But both have. A group of people. Who they call. Priest, and they are a group of people that are chosen by God. That are chosen by God. The meaning of the priest of the word priest, oftentimes we just put the word service. That the priest is to serve, and a lot of times you just go into commentaries that that's all that they will say. That a priest is a servant. Kohan means, from the old root word, is to stand. Is to stand. If you go back in the Old Testament and you read about the cupbearers and so forth, they stood there to do what? To serve who? To serve the king. And the issue is to stand. Even in Ephesians when it says, after you've done all else, do what? Just stand. But you stand with a mind ready to serve God. You stand with a mind ready to hear from Him and to act on His behalf. That you're going to serve Him. And you're standing, in a sense, at the right hand of God, ready to serve and to minister. You're a priest. You're a priest. And oftentimes we forget that we are a priest. We'll talk a little more about that even next week because, see, in the temple you needed a priest. In the church you need a priest. But they function differently to a degree. They will function differently. Turn with me to Exodus 19. I want you to understand that God chooses those who will stand by Him. The closer you stand to God, the more you're going to be perfected. The closer you are to the living God, the purer your heart's going to be. The closer you stand to God, the more your mind's going to be renewed. The further you stand away from God, the more ungodly you're going to be. The further you stand away from God, the less you're going to know or have knowledge of in serving the Lord. And the further you stand away from Him, most likely you will not be called on to be used. But it's when you're standing right there with him. Ready to serve at his and call. And we need to understand that. So in 19.6 God says simply this. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You are going to be what? A priest for me, a nation of priests. And the church is a congregation of priests ready to serve the Lord. And he says, go back up into verse 5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Look at the condition beforehand. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Then out of all nations. Now again, God is picking. God is choosing. And think about it. Out of all the people in the world, God chose you to represent him. Isn't that something? God chose you to represent Him in your everyday life. Just like He chose Israel out of all all the other nations around. He chose Israel to represent Him. God has chosen you in New Testament to be His priest and represent Him and serve Him. And he says, boy, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Treasured possession. And in the New Testament, he talks about the priests and the saints being what? His treasure. His treasure. Very similar. Go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. And verse 6. Just follow down with me. And you will be called priest. You will be called priest. Why? Because you serve. Why? Because you stand ready to render service for me and to me. You will be called priest of the Lord. You will be named ministers of God. What's one of the words for minister? The servant. Is servant. The servant. You're going to serve for me. You're going to do ministry for me. Ministry is not so much assigned by the church as it is assigned by God in everyday life as you're living it, what your ministry is. And the Holy Spirit then dictates your ministry. And, your, and the Holy Spirit then dictates who you're going to apply your ministry through or who you're going to serve. And he goes on, he says, you will feed on the wealth of the nations And in their riches you will boast. Your wealth is going to come not so much that God just drops it out of heaven, but it comes from the people around you. God will always understand this principle. God will always finance his program. He will not finance yours. (laughs) God will always finance his program. And you have to understand something. When God is at work in something, finance will always follow it. Because God knows what we have need of in order to serve him and to represent him. When you're doing the work of God, the finances will follow. It may come slow, but it will follow if it's really God's work. Because God never assigns us to do anything in and of our own strength. Because he will not allow you to have one voice of glory to say this is what you've done. You will not be able to boast one iota. Only thing you'll be able to say is God did it. God performed it. God provided. God gave strength. God gave help. God ministered through us. And he says, Boy, and you will be called priest of the Lord. Go to 1 Peter. And as I said, we're gonna touch more a little bit on the priest even next week. He comes down to verse nine, he says, But you are chosen. Now we're in New Testament. This God that changes not is still operating out of his own perfect will, out of his sovereignty. And God says to the New Testament folks, you you are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to who? To God. And I don't think today that Christians really understand that concept. That we belong to God. We have turned that thing around. God belongs to us. He's our genie in the bottle. We call on him when we need him. We tell him what we want. But we have somehow mixed this thing up thinking he is to serve us rather than we are to what? Serve him. That we are here with a purpose in life to serve him. To serve him. And he says, you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are a people who belong to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you. There's your purpose. That you're declaring the praises of Him who called you. That your life is a praise to Him who's called you out of darkness. That your life manifests Him and bring glory to Him and Him alone. Now, In contrast to Israel, the entire church stands as a royal priesthood ready to serve Jesus. Ready to serve Jesus. Now, the church always moves in a manner of response and submission. We are responding to his call on our life. We are responding to his word We are responding to his voice when he speaks to us. And we do that in submission to him. Now, when you're in submission to someone, there's not a whole lot of buts in it. There's not a whole lot of ifs in it. One thing that a marine will learn to do, or an old marine, When an order is given, you do it. You do it. And the whole process, when God gives an order, or God's demanding of you, he's not calling you in for a conference. I understand what Isaiah said. Come, let us reason together. But nowhere do you find in there that God has given a directive prior to. But as people who want to understand God, we do come and we reason and we get an understanding of who we are and who 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 he is. And then we are obedient unto him because we understand who we are and who he is. One of the things you have to do on a job real quick sometime, you have to establish who is the boss and who's the worker. Everybody want to be the what? Yeah. Everybody. When I would run a job, I didn't expect you to ask me, well, why do you want me to go do it? If you didn't want to do it, that's all you got to do is for me to say, you didn't want to do it, and I would ask you to leave the job. Because there's other people out there who want to work. I remember with a pastor friend of mine, David Sipp, because the way I was trained outside, when I was at Tacoma Falls, I was in charge of the plumbing department. And the old thing was that when we were not tied in with the city, we had a big old pond out there. And every now and then, when things get backed up, you had to pull the sewer thing and get down in there and run the line up through the sewer. And sometimes you had to put your hands down there and feel around. And, and, and David wanted to put gloves on. I told him, David, you got to take the gloves off because you can't feel what you need to feel with the gloves on. And Dave said, I'm not going to do that. I said, David, that there's fine. Just go back up to the main office and let them know you want to work in some other department. <laughs> there, there's no argument about it. Either you're going to do it or you're what? Not going to do it. One of the things that caused my brother to lose a job And he only had one more day to go at Ford to have his 90 days in. And because the other men got done early, they had ran their number of parts, well, they went and sat down or went to the coffee shop. Well, a union guy could do that. A non-union person couldn't do that. So the boss told him to go down to another line and start working on that line. What's he going to do? I've been working with these guys all along. I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And that foreman didn't argue with him. The foreman wrote him up, fired him on the spot, and Vance lost a good job at Ford with one day to go to be in the union. And then he could have went to the coffee shop. And the whole process, sometimes, whether we want to admit it or not, our work ethics in America is going out the window based on that one area of knowing how to obey. And we bring that into the church. And when God speaks, we're ready to argue or put a but or put an if or do it this way or do it that way. God's not asking for you to counsel him. He's asking you to serve him, which is a big difference. The church always moves in a manner of response and submission, not of self-will or its own initiative. And oftentimes what the church is trying to do is not function in the will of God, just like the believer. We're not trying to function in the will of God or what God is asking. We're trying to do something for God, and God hasn't asked me to do anything for Him, but be obedient to Him. But to be obedient to Him. And the most critical area for Christians in the church today is obedience. Is obedience. Is obedience to him. Obedience to the authorities that he's put over. Obedience. And that's our biggest failure in the church. Is because people do not want to obey anybody other than themselves. Now. Jesus is our high priest. If you're saved, he's the high priest. If you're saved and you serve in the church, you have a head of the church who is the high priest. And he is the one who will direct everything in the church. And when you don't think he's in charge, be still. Be still. Don't start waggling your tongue. Why? A tongue can set a city on fire. A tongue can destroy a church, split it. A tongue can do some damaging things. And sometimes what God is saying, be still, because see, boy, again I would say to you, read the book, God's Not in a Hurry, that God has a time frame in which he's going to do things. And your thing is to just stay busy doing what God has called you to do in ministry. Be a faithful Sunday school teacher. Be a faithful elder. Be a faithful musician. Be a faithful singer. Be a faithful prayer warrior. Be a faithful encourager. Be faithful where God has called you to be. And work at it. Work at it. Why? The high priest is still on his throne. He's still there. Our high priest meets all of our needs. He'll meet the needs of the church. He meets all of our needs. Why? Because he is the high priest. He is the head of the church. He is over every priestly person within the church. Now, everybody in the church is not a priest. Everybody in the church doesn't serve God. A lot of folks in the church is self-serving. They're serving who? Themselves. They're not there to really serve the Lord. And just because you grew up in a Christian family or you grew up in the church does not make you a Christian, but the assumption is, if I went to church and I'm in the church and I was baptized and I was there and I could call the pastor's name, I'm saved. And that's one of the things that Satan has used to lead many people in the wrong direction. Just because they've been churched. And there's a lot of people in church that really do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in church that don't have a cry and a hunger for Christ. There's a lot of people in church that are not really seeking to live in the manner which will glorify God. So a lot of people in the church are not priests, they're not there to serve, they're there to get but not really serve. Go to Hebrews chapter 7 because it makes a huge difference. In verse 24, he says, but because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent, what? Priesthood. Because he lives forever, guess what? You can't vote him out of office. And you don't never have to worry about him being replaced by anybody else. He is the head priest. Go to Psalms 110, verse 4. Psalms 110. You know, oftentimes we forget who he is. And it says in that verse 4, The Lord has sworn. This is what God has said. The Lord has sworn. And will not change his mind. This is why Jesus is a high priest forever. The Lord has promised it. The Lord has stated it. And the Lord will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of who? And just there in the order of should identify who he's talking to or talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, you are the high priest forever now. Now, like the temple, the church needs workers too. And God called them priests, whether in the temple or in the church. Now, all Israel were not priests. One tribe was called to be priests, to serve. That's why we're going to look at church and temple next week. To be able to identify a little difference between church and temple. Because Corinthians says is right. Your body is the temple of God. Not the church of God, but the temple of God which has two different functions then. The church and the temple functions differently. And in the Old Testament, he picks a tribe out to be a priest to serve the rest of Israel and even the nations around, in a sense, that will come into acceptance of Jehovah as God. But in the church... He selects the believers in Jesus Christ. And the emphasis is in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Because see, you can say the name of Jesus and you can tell me that you're saved. But in Romans 10, it allows two witnesses to take place. One, if you believe in your heart, that is the witness of God because who can only see the heart? God. And then the confession of your mouth is for who? For, for man. But see, we can say things with our mouth that can deceive man. Man but God knows the what? And he says he knows the heart of every man. He knows the heart of every man. And the whole process is that, that temple, if you understand the temple, which we're going to look at, boy, the responsibility you have as the priest of your temple. Because if you can't take care of your temple, how are you going to come into the house of God and His church and do anything? When the whole process of understanding the priests is that God Himself calls them, and God is the one who does the work within their heart. And oftentimes we forget that it is a work of God that has to take place go back to 1 peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 as you come to him the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God not accepted by men But Jesus was chosen by God to come do the work that he's going to do. Rejected by men, but chosen by God, a a precious to him, and precious to him. You also, the word also there is very important. You also, like living stones, are being what? Built into a spiritual house. You are being what? From the time you accepted Christ, you are being built up to serve. You're being built up to render service to God. You're being built up and strengthened that you might be able to be That priestly person who shows forth the authority of God in your life. And he says, Boy, I'm building you up. And then I'm going to take you and I'm going to really then place you into this spiritual house. A priest, the moment they were born, in the tribe of Levite was a priest. But he could not take office as a priest until he was twenty five years old. But in that time, guess where he's at? He's with dad, <laughs> learning to be what? He was out in the field learning how to plant. <laughs> He didn't have a vineyard to take care of or sheep to take care of. He was in the temple learning how to be a priest to serve God and he would then serve for 25 years then he could retire. But he had to be 25 years old and then he retired at 50 years old from the service. but the years before 25 were preparation years. And sometime in the church where people don't understand, yes, you are a priest, but you're not holding the office of the priest until you have learned how to be a priest and function in that fashion. You are a priest. Now, if I can illustrate it in this way, one of the qualifications of a pastor. If he cannot see about his own home, what can he do in the house of God? If you can't take care of your own temple, keep your own temple clean, direct your own temple, What can you do in the church? He wants to add you in. But there's that training period. And the question is, are you really being trained? Are you being taught? And what do you avail yourself to in order to be trained? Priests are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's called you to holiness. Now he has to prepare you to live holy because of the things that you're going to deal with in life. That you deal with them from his perspective, not your own. And that you're dealing with them with holy hands and a holy mind and a holy heart. Because you're representing a holy God. A God that is pure. A God that has no faults. And he expects you to live in such a manner. You're a priest, and you're going to offer sacrifice that is acceptable to God through the work that you do. Your work is your sacrifice, because, see, we don't do any animal sacrifices, do we? If you brought a sacrifice up here and said, Pastor, I want you to cut the neck and do this and that, you just be in trouble. See? Your sins would just have to remain on you. And you really would have to do what a lot of people say. I'm doing the best I can. Yet you really would have to do the best you can. Because there would be no sacrifice for you. And you need to understand that. That Jesus already has made the sacrifice. But our works are our sacrifice unto God. When we show kindness to someone else it's our sacrifice. When a person asks us to walk one mile it's our sacrifice to go two miles. When our enemy Ask for a drink of water. It's not for us to say, no, you're my enemy. You just go ahead and thirst and die or whatever. No, we give him what? A drink of water. That's our sacrifice. Because everything in us may not want to do that. Everything in us don't want to serve that person. Everything in us is rebelling over the request that that person has made of us. But then it's a sacrifice. And when people call you out of your name and people mistreat you, it's your sacrifice that comes back and treat them with respect and honor. That's a sacrifice. It's the work that you do. It's your attitude. It's your performance in everyday life that is your sacrifice. Because you're not sacrificing Any sheep, any pigeons, any turtle dove you're not doing that. But your sacrifice is in the obedience. And as someone said earlier, the image of Christ that you're demonstrating through your life is your sacrifice that you are making. So in Romans 1 it says, yes, it's your reasonable service to be what? To do what? Present your bodies as what? a living sacrifice. And then in Romans 6, he encourages us not to allow our bodies to be used for any evil purposes. For any evil purposes. We don't render our bodies. Why? Because my body is what? The temple of the living God. I am a priest of the living God. And then in Ephesians 2.10, he says, Boy, I am his workmanship. And he's preparing me for good works. He's preparing me for good works. Go to Philippians 1, verse 6. You already know it. Many of you know it by heart. But let's go there. 1, 1, 1, six he said, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Why? God knows he can never leave you alone if he's going to expect what? Good works from you. Paul says, whenever I desire to do good, what's present? Evil. And if God wasn't right there with me, guess what I would be involved in? So God says, boy, he's going to continue to work in my life, work in my life. Why? That I may make the type of sacrifices that are pleasing unto him through the work that I perform and that I do. And yes, that strip is talking about God working in me to straighten out the things in my own personal life. But just think about it. If he doesn't work in you to take care of the things that are in your own personal life, how will he ever be magnified in your life? Tozer says it right. Lord, do a good work in me that you might do a good work through me. Because God always has to do a good work in us first. In order to do a work through us. When the priesthood is healthy, understand this principle the church is healthy. When the priesthood is healthy, the church is healthy. And healthy priesthood has one agenda serve Jesus to perform His will. That we're hearing what Jesus says, that my food is to do the will of my Father. That my will is not that I will come and serve myself, but I will serve Him and do what the One who has sent me to do His will. When the church is healthy it is because the priesthood in the church is healthy and that priesthood is all about serving Christ and doing his will now members of the body not under authority of the head are in rebellion and see you're not going to always know who's in rebellion And I'm not going to try to lose a night of sleep or one week trying to figure out who's in rebellion against God and who is really walking with God. Because eventually it comes out, don't it? I don't have to go downstairs every day and check my pipes to see if anything's leaking. Because if it's leaking, eventually I'm going to what? I'm going to know it. I don't have to run in the kitchen every five, ten minutes to see if the faucet is leaking. I just got to listen, and pretty soon I'll hear, tap, tap, (laughs) tap, and I know it's what? And guess what? In your life, I don't have to play Sherlock Holmes, because pretty soon you're going to drip. And we're going to know there's a problem. A lot of people try to hide their problems, run away from their problems. But the priest deals with his issues of life and his problems. Joshua falls on his face. Go to Joshua chapter 7. And Joshua is crying out, Lord, why did you bring us here? Lord, we've been beat up by this little guy around the corner. Why did you send us around there? Lord, and the Lord might tell, get up from there. Rather than saying, Lord, show me my sin or show me the sin that has taken place. And Achan has stolen something that God said that they should not take, they should not take of the plunder of the people and he had dug a hole in his little house and buried the stuff. And then Israel goes off to battle with Ai and they get what? They get beaten up on. And they come back with all their scars and everything. And Joshua can't figure out what caused us to lose this battle. Now, this is what's so important about the priesthood, even, about the life of the church. If you're really part of the body and you're living in sin, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting the collective. The whole body. You're hurting. And that hurt goes far beyond just these walls. Why? Because you're part of the body of Christ. And the Lord knows there will be some to dishonor. Some who will bring shame to his name. Yet they're still his. It's like in a family. Family. A family can have a wonderful name in the community, but that doesn't mean all the children will live up to what? To the name. There may be one or two who falls way short, but does that remove them from being part of the family? And even in God's house, he realizes there will be those who will not honor or bring honor to his name. That will bring shame. And that's the effect that we have, that rippling effect. When we don't live according to God's will. it just doesn't hurt the local church. It hurts the whole body because people who are unbelievers see it. And it affects them. Your children see it. Your nieces and nephews see it. Your co-workers see it. And the people you worship with see it. And this is kind of laughable to me. Pick up with me in verse 10. Because they didn't got whooped up. And he's laying all down prostrated and everything rolling in the dirt woohooing hooing and crying. No. Lord, you shouldn't even brought us over here. We were, why couldn't we have been satisfied on the other side of this little river? Why couldn't we have camped out there? We was doing all right. Have you ever been in a place where you was doing all right then God moved you and all hell broke out? And you're saying, Lord, why did you place me there? Why did you send me there? Every demon in hell seemed like, boy, it's coming after me now. I was living peacefully over there, minding my own business. I wasn't about your business, but I was taking care of business. And then you called me to go do something for you. And every demon seemed like it then left hell and is coming after me. And here's Joshua. In that verse 10, the Lord says, the Lord says to Joshua, stand up! That's one of the first things that you need to do when you sense yourself in a spiritual battle. You feel like you're not winning. You know what you need to do? Is stand up. And declare to the enemy who you are. Satan already know who you are, but if you don't know who you are, then he's going to treat you like you're something else other than who you are. You need to stand up and let him know you are the priest of the Most High God. You serve the Most High God. You're empowered by the Most High God. You carry the authority of the Most High God. You need to stand up and declare who you are in Christ Jesus and remind him what you're doing you've been called by God to do and for him to get out of your way. He says, stand up what are you doing down on your face? Now, Joshua just said, I'm praying, Lord, I'm praying. And the Lord says, stand up. In other words, stop praying. Now, stand up. And he says, Israel has sinned. Because of one person's sin, look how he puts it collectively, the whole body. The whole body has sinned. They have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. Why is it that the church can't stand against its enemies? Why is it that the church can't really advance? If you read all statistics about the church, the church is basically doing the same thing that the world is doing. In other words, believers are living the same life that the world is living. And do not allow themselves to be different than unsaved folks. We're just as immoral in many ways. And when we hear it on the news of some big leader who have failed in the church, ooh. And the news only point out the big leaders, well, how about all the thousands of priests in the church who fail at their job of being who they are? And the Lord tells him it was Achan that who did this. And the whole process is that they go through this thing. And he's talking about God's name being honored. And you need to understand, God honors his own name. God glorifies his own name. God doesn't need us to glorify him. We yield to be used of him that he may show his own glory. We need to stand up and be who we are. If my ministry causes problems for yours, then I'm wrong or you're wrong. Because we are in the body of Christ, and each of us should function better because our ministries complement each other. They complement each other. And in those ministries, we are encouraging each other. And we are both working for the Lord. But when those ministries clashes, then there's something wrong. What priest doesn't mean, very quickly, priest doesn't negate God's appointed leadership in the church. And in the church, there's that doctrine of the priesthood of believers. And sometimes the priesthood of believers think they run the church. No. God has set those in the church that are the leaders, the pastor and the elders, the other areas that have been given authority. But the priesthood sometimes think, boy, they can take over. You never see that in the Old Testament of the priests really going up challenging the high priest. Now, the priests can do the wrong things, as we saw what happened with Eli's sons, but God takes care of it. God takes care of it. Now, we need to understand that God does appoint leaders in the church, Ephesians 4.11 and Titus 1.5. It doesn't mean that everyone's opinion is equally correct. We all believe whatever we wish to be right. That doesn't mean that leadership discounts your opinion because everybody has a what? An opinion. And what leadership has to do is separate opinion from wise counsel. That the priesthood is giving wise counsel or is just giving its opinion concerning something. Because we all have that tendency to be right in our own what? Our own eyesight. We live by our basic conviction. But basic convictions doesn't necessarily make our convictions right. That's why a Christian, when he feels he's convicted of something, he wants God to confirm it. He wants God to really allow him to know this is what you want me to do. And you look for those outward signs, you look for something that God really says. This is what I want you to do as my child. You just don't take your conviction and run with it. Because your conviction can be wrong. You don't know if it's coming from Satan. You don't know if it's coming from your own consciousness. You don't know if it's coming from just the advice of friends. And what you want to do is really hear from God that this is what God wants you to do. This doesn't mean collective authority is final or right. If we understand that egotistic, arrogant, um, unbiblical independency away from God keeps us from submitting to those who have been given God given authority. So we want to really be careful in that area. Next. We need to understand the majority usually don't come to prayer meeting. The majority usually don't live a spirit-filled life. The majority can have a party spirit, can be manipulated, and can just go with the favor of the status quo. The majority. It doesn't mean that all the church are basically the same. All believers are of equal value and worth, yes, before Jesus. But not all have the same gifts. Not all has been given the same authority. Not all have been placed in the same office. There are God-given roles of ministry. Acts fourteen twenty three, Titus one five, First Thessalonians five twelve through thirteen, and then if you look at Barnabas, and you look at the book of Acts, you'll see something that takes place. Is Barnabas Paul, Barnabas Paul, Barnabas Paul, and then it changes Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. What did God just do? He flipped the leadership. And Barnabas was able to accept God's will. That he was no longer leading Paul, but now Paul, in a sense, was leading him. Then you look at Dorcas. Her ministry. In the church, yes. But her ministry was helping the poor. Her ministry was making clothes for the poor. She had a ministry that God had assigned to her. Then you look at Lydia in chapter 16. Lydia had the gift of hospitality and she opened her home to Paul who didn't have a place to stay. And she encourages them to come and stay at Her house. She was also, she had her own business, the selling of purple. And I believe a lot of the money that this woman earned went to help Paul on his mission trips. It was her ministry. What does it mean? Being a priest means you have a direct access to God. You don't have to come to me or anybody else to go into the throne room of God. You can do that in your car. You can do that while you're walking around the park. You can do that there in your bedroom. You can do it there in your bathroom. You can do it while sitting on your porch. You have direct access to God. Secondly, each priest is in charge of their own temple. Where you may not be in charge of the church, you are responsible for this temple and what you allow in it and how you clean it and how you keep it. This is your temple where God resides in you, and you act as the priest then of this temple. Then you are the individual who recognizes as a priest. That the sacrifices have already been made. You don't have to do anything as far as sacrificing to earn anything from God. You're already there. All you have to do is ask. No sacrifice. And then, number four by our calling and the position in the body, you are an under-shepherd with spiritual authority in the church ministry. Go to Deuteronomy 7-6 and I'll close out here. Deuteronomy 7-6 and John 15-16. just want you to See it and then we're, we're basically done. Deuteronomy 7.6 For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people of the face of the earth to be what? His people. His treasured possession. Go to John. Chapter 15 and verse 16. He makes this statement You did not choose me. You did not choose me. But I chose you and pointed you to go bear what? Fruit. fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name you are the priest of your temple you are to serve him in your temple and you are responsible for your temple we're all under the authority of the word of God we're all under the authority of the Spirit of God. We're all under the authority of the church body. The believers of the church. We are the priesthood of God. Understanding this. Ordained to serve him. It's nice to have ordaining councils. It's nice to have people who say this and that. But the highest thing that you can ever get is that you know, that you know, that you know you've been called by God. And that you've answered the call. And God himself has consecrated you or ordained you to do what you do. That's the highest thing. Men make mistakes. Some people that we put in service should never have been in service. But they answered all the right questions, did all the right things. But they should have never been in the pastorate or in the ministry. There are people that have been commissioned to do things that should have never been commissioned to do it. And that's the failure of man because we can't see what? The heart. Nor can we see from this point to this point. But if you know that you've been called and ordained by God, I could care less if you call me Doggy Brown. I've had people tell me, you are a rotten pastor. I've had people tell me, you are just a fool. I, I've been called everything up in my office. now. no. But see, this is what's important. I know who I am in Christ. And I know who has called me to do this. And that is a blessing and an encouragement. In and of itself. That you know for yourself. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. Do you know? Father, we thank you and praise you. And we pray, Father, you continue to minister to us in this series. And help us, Lord, to clearly understand that yes, the church is needed today more so than ever. But the people of God, the priesthood, has to make that need known by the way in which they serve the church of the living God. But wherever Israel went, people understood that God was in the midst of Israel by the way the priesthood taught and served the living God. And may we, O God, be a people who rejoice in serving you, who desire to serve you, who want to wait upon you, who want to be obedient to you, who want you to show forth your glory through us, and that we can say, my God, has done it. My God has rescued. My God has provided. My God has done a wonderful work in this temple of his. Lord, help us to be the priest. Help us to stand and be ready to serve you at any bacon call. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give, we want to give in thanksgiving to him. For he has been gracious unto us. Father, we pray that you will take our offering and you will multiply it and use it to further your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege that you grant us to give back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with. For you are the owner of all things and all that we possess belongs to you. And we thank you, Lord, for the car you let us use. We, we thank you for the house you let us use. We thank you for the tables and chairs and the TV and the games and everything we possess. It belongs to you. For when we leave this place, we won't take any of it with us. It will stay here because it belongs to you. And, Lord, we thank you that we can take a portion of what you blessed us with and give it back to you. Use it to glorify your name, in Jesus' name.